0: A pleasant Thursday. This is Ozarks at Large for May twenty 2023. I'm Kyle Kelms. Thank you for being with us. Later today, we'll preview this year's Juneteenth Observation in Northwest Arkansas. First, we'll look ahead to an author's visit to the Fayetteville Public Library next week. Britt Bennett's first two novels, The Mothers and The Vanishing Half, have garnered widespread commercial and critical success. Both have been optioned for television and film. Bennett's most recent novel, The Vanishing Half, is a multi-generational story set in the fictional town of Mallard, Louisiana. It's an examination of race, justice, and identity. Twin sisters Desiree and Stella, light-skinned black women, age into very different lives. Stella chooses to live her life as a white woman. Britt Bennett will be at the Fayetteville Public Library Thursday to talk about her books. She'll be in conversation with Randy Wilburn, host of the podcast I Am Northwest Arkansas. Earlier this week, Britt Bennett talked with us about her books, her writing discipline, and what it's like to have conversations with readers.
1: I mean, I think it's always very surreal because when I set out to write, I never really imagined what would come beyond just finishing a book. So to be able to actually finish a book and see it become a real object that people are reading and then to have conversations with people about the book, I think it's still something that feels very surreal even though I've done this a couple times already.
0: What I love about the mothers and the vanishing half both is the, the 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 thought about identity and and the identity that you think you might have as a person or the identity somebody else might think you have are those themes that you consciously like to to consider and write about? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that that identity is always something that is uh, kind of a factor in in what i'm writing what i think about the world the 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 complication in the way that i see myself versus the way my family sees me versus my friends versus a stranger i think all of that is something that's constantly shifting and it is becoming even more complicated when you think about you know social media and technology and the fact that we have access to so many people's lives and they have access to our lives and Um, So I think that that, the constant shifts within identity and the the complexity of it, I think that's something that I've always been interested in writing about, whether it's the mothers where it is very specifically about the small community or the vanishing half where it's very specifically about this really complicated family.
0: This complicated family, including the daughters, uh, twins. And I have to tell you, I love how you have an this 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 sort of omnipresent approach and stella who is the identical twin who chooses to pass as white we just know her as her there isn't in in my reading there isn't this broad stroke of what she's doing is wrong it's just what she's doing and what that means for her there's no sort of um judgment there yeah
1: i mean i think that i I don't like to write from a place of judgment because I think it's uninteresting to the reader to feel that the author is, is, you know, sort of pressing a finger on the scale and telling you what to think about somebody. So I knew going into it, I knew that I was writing about a character that was making choices that a lot of readers might have very strong feelings about and and might end up judging themselves. So I felt like my job as the writer then was to present that um, just with as much complexity as possible. And to focus just on who this character is and her particular circumstances instead of trying to make some universal statement about whether I believe that what she was doing was right or wrong. <laughs> it's like being able to kind of meet these people and have your own opinions and feelings about them versus the author telling you what to think.
0: The setting uh, is a, is a fictional town in Louisiana that is interesting. Is it based on something you've read about or you know about?
1: Yeah, the town is based on uh, towns that my mother told me about. Uh, my mom grew up in Louisiana, so she was the person who kind of sparked the idea of thinking about these very light-skinned communities of uh, of people um, and thinking about these characters who came from that place. And then when I went to sit down to write the book, I began to do research and, and found, you know, historical records of these towns that existed beyond what my mother remembered from growing up there.
0: When you are setting up a community or a family that you're going to be sharing for several hundred pages,
1: what sort of process do you go through in the beginning? It was a very long process of just sort of peeling back layer by layer as I got to know the characters better myself. Because I knew, for example, I knew that I wanted to open with uh, Desiree returning back to Mallard after being gone for a series of years and she would return with this daughter and that would cause a lot of gossip and conversation so I knew that that was where I wanted to begin but then I had to like set out in the process of getting to know this character like where had she been what had she been up to Who was this person that she was married to I had to kind of then sort of figure that out for myself so I think the process of writing a a novel really is you have to tell that story to yourself first as the author and then you have to figure out how to tell it to somebody else so it really does become just sort of a lot of trial and error as you figure out what you need to know to tell the story, and then sometimes like that's a lot of what revision becomes of figuring out, now that you know all this information, what does the reader actually need to know in order to understand the story that's being told?
0: You mentioned when we started this conversation that you hadn't thought much about what it was going to mean besides just writing a book, and this has meant a lot. It's meant uh, attention. It's meant wonderful critical claim. It It's meant optioning your words for visual medium. What has that been like?
1: I mean, I think all of that has been entirely surreal. I think at the beginning with The Vanishing Half, I was very nervous because it was my second novel, and there's a lot of pressure that comes along with that, of wanting to sort of avoid the sophomore slump. So I was mostly just focused on that. I just didn't want to fall flat on my face. <laughs> and then the experience of publishing the book was went way beyond any of my longest dreams and imagination of, as far as, um, you know, people um, buying it and reading it and loving it and and all these other things that have sort of come along on the back end of that. So I think all of, and then all of that was happening during the beginning of the pandemic. So I really went into the experience of publishing this book with no expectation of what could possibly happen and a lot of fear of all the terrible things that could happen. So all of it was such a just unexpected and um, still very surreal surprise for me.
0: You're a storyteller, you're a novelist. Do you also think about at all, do you put upon yourself perhaps a responsibility as a novelist? You want to make sure that certain topics are addressed in the book or are discussed? And maybe topics that for some readers they haven't thought about before?
1: I mean, I think I feel a responsibility um, insofar that I believe that, that storytelling matters and that the stories that we tell affect people emotionally and, and psychologically mentally. And I think that if I didn't believe that it mattered, then I wouldn't do it. So I, I do feel that responsibility there. I think also, like, I'm always just interested, first and foremost, in the people at the center of the story. So with this book, I didn't set out to necessarily be like, oh, I want to write about this topic or that topic. I always began with sort of the characters and the choices that they were making. And then from there, I often found myself into in the middle of some very, like, thorny topics and questions. But I always began really with, I want to write about these twin sisters who make two very different decisions. And then from there, I kind of find my way in, in various uh, topics that I ended up exploring.
0: Both of your novels also, you know, explore returning, going home or going to, you know, what is uh, a family or, or generational home. And that's, of course, always um, an interesting subject for us and brings its own set of, uh, you know, potential landmines.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, as you said, both of my books so far have involved a character who's left for a period and had to return back to the home. And even though those homes are very different, um, I'm always interested in, you know, the person that you are when you return to your home and you return to your family. As a person who lives uh, pretty far from my family right now. It's always interesting to me, like whenever I go home, it's, it, it's sort of that they see you as the person that they want to do you as. And, um, and there are ways in which that can be really comforting and also ways in which that can be really challenging so I do think that's that's a theme that um, yeah those first two books do have in common
0: and finally I'm always interested in a writing process Are you someone who you know nine to five this is this is my job I sit down and I and I work on it or is your writing schedule a, a bit more um, flexible
1: I do try to be pretty uh sort of regimented with it because I I do think the writing often almost like going to the gym where when you stop going it's Mm -hmm. so hard to get back into doing it again so it's easier for me if I sit down every day and I put in some work which I think just showing up takes you a pretty long way so I do try to be pretty regimented scheduled I have an office that I work out of Um, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, create, uh, a schedule and, and be disciplined about it just because to me, that's the way that I'm most productive. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm sort of a visual person. I like to have a big whiteboard where I can write notes or outline or anything like that. Um, and I think, yeah, I think also just the process of getting out of the house, having like a pretty short commute, um, to my office, I think all of that has been really helpful as well, just to kind of. I don't don't know. I find like walking and and movement to be creatively invigorating and also just creates a little bit of a distance from your home life, your work life. So all of that, those are all been ways that I've tried to just create, uh, I guess, sort of crystallize a process around my writing where it's not just haphazard, where I try to actually treat it like a job and treat it, like, um, treat it like something that I am taking seriously and not sort of, um, that I'm not only just doing what I feel like it, but I'm t- something that I try to show up for every day.
0: Britt Bennett is the author of the novels The Mothers and The Vanishing Half. She'll be at the Fayetteville Public Library Thursday, June 1st. It's free.
2: She'll be in conversation with Randy Wilburn, the host of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. The 25th season of the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society's Summer Jazz Concert Series kicks off Sunday, June 4th, with Jazz in Bloom at the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks. Multi-Grammy Award-nominated clarinetist Anat Cohen will perform with her Brazilian jazz trio. Proceeds support the Jazz Society's youth education programs. More information at digjazz.com or 479-225-2306. The University of Arkansas at Fort Smith offers students more than a diploma. UAFS offers students a resume. Putting knowledge to work since 1928. UAFS.edu slash join the pride. Still to come today on Ozarks at
0: Large, how weekends start at the Ramble in Fayetteville.
3: The idea of of the series is that it's sort of um, an opportunity to start your weekend off right. So it's a transition. It's a it's a very small, compact little creative moment where you can happen upon live music, artistic activities, all taking place in this beautiful space.
0: The musical ensemble Blue Thread will perform as part
4: of the next weekend. Starts more about that later this hour. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A Saline County native became a musician and songwriter who made her mark in Tex Ritter's band. Bonnie Dodd was born in 1914, and while in her teens, formed a duo that performed on KTHS Radio in Hot Springs. She later performed in Louisiana Governor Jimmy Davis's band, and co-wrote a song that became a top-five country and western hit in 1944. She had a long stint in Tex Ritter's band, and while billed as Queen of the Steel Guitar, also was known by Ritter's nickname for her, Little Blossom. She wrote You Will Have to Pay, a number one hit for Ritter in 1945. Dion recorded one of her songs in 1963. And a song she co-wrote was nominated as a Bluegrass Song of the Year in 2001. Her 1930s steel national guitar is exhibited in the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. Poor health curtailed her musical career, and she died in California in 1984. She is buried in Saline County's Antioch Cemetery. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large.
0: Northwest Arkansas National Airport has seen a record increase in flights since March. With the summer travel season kicking off this holiday weekend, XNA anticipates that demand will increase. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth has more.
5: The number of people traveling through XNA in the first quarter of 2023 is up 11 percent from 2019, which was the airport's highest traffic year to date. And this weekend, AAA predicts around 3.4 million Americans will be flying for Memorial Day.
6: Memorial Day aside, we're having an extremely busy year. April was the best April that we've had in terms of employment. So that on top of what AAA predicts is going to be the busiest Memorial Day weekend since 2005, we are fully expecting, you know, one for the history books for this airport.
5: Olivia Moore is Public Affairs Manager for XNA. She says leisure travel accounts for the largest number of tickets coming through the airport. And Moore says XNA has seen an exponential growth in passengers in recent years and is working to expand infrastructure to meet that demand. That includes a terminal modernization project expected to complete in 2025.
6: The project is going to include more elevators, escalators, and stairwells for passenger convenience, an area where pickup and drop-off are completely covered for passengers. So we're just prepping for a growing demand in air travel in the region. Along with that, we have a lot of different things going on trying to ease passenger travel, uh, including on our website, we have uh, a portion where passengers can pre-book their parking spots. Another thing that we can do is under our website flyxNA.com, we have a security checkpoint wait time estimation. And then also something that just opened a couple weeks ago is XNA has a brand new TSA pre-application center in our lobby downstairs.
5: Moore says most of the airlines at XNA have ramped up staffing to prepare for a busy summer. But she says the high traffic could still lead to issues for travelers.
6: So passengers should plan to arrive at XNA approximately two hours before their scheduled departure time to allow enough time to navigate the front of the terminal due to our terminal modernization project and get through ticketing and security. Um, And we just suggest that passengers be kind to each other, be kind to staff, um, and really um, practice patience.
5: For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. Last week, the Fayetteville City Council
0: approved a proposal to hire a consultant to investigate short-term rentals operating illegally within city limits. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich has this report.
7: As many as 300 short-term rentals are currently operating illegally in Fayetteville. The city requires owner-occupied short-term rentals to obtain a business license, but non-owner-occupied short-term rentals are also required to obtain a conditional use permit. Jonathan Kurth is director of Fayetteville's development services department.
8: We've seen a lot of instances where uh, there's a uh, relatively high concentration of short-term rentals and many neighbors don't even realize they're there uh, because they're uh, occupied by uh, just a a few people at a time or the management group makes sure that they're uh, observing the city rules, Uh, but we've also seen instances where uh, one or two short-term rentals in an entire neighborhood are causing a very outsized negative impact on neighbors, whether it's because they uh, host a lot of uh, or two more people than the ordinance allows or or they have parties or events there when they're not supposed to.
7: Fayette Bill's Ordinance Review Committee will meet June 7th to amend the existing short-term rental ordinance to initiate hiring a compliance contractor estimated to cost around $20,000 a year.
8: And what this contractor would do is identify all of these unlicensed or unpermitted uh, short-term rental operators to give us a a more clear picture of of what we're dealing with and where and to what extent.
7: Those found operating illegally could then be brought into compliance, paying licensure and permitting fees. Fayetteville's effort to control short-term rental sprawl follows a failed effort by Republican state lawmakers during the regular session to deregulate all municipal and county short-term rental ordinances and codes in Arkansas. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.
0: The city of Bentonville is partnering with Pedal It Forward to host a bike drive. The goal is to collect 150 donated bicycles Friday, June 2nd, in celebration of Bentonville's 150th anniversary. Bikes can be dropped off at Creekside Park on Southwest Bright Road or Memorial Park on Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway to a volunteer from 11 a.m. until 6 p.m. on Friday, June 2nd. Donated bikes will be cleaned and repaired and distributed to residents later this year.
6: A Prairie Grove listener said, My husband and I appreciate that KUAF and NPR utilize integrity and journalism. True journalism is becoming more and more of a rarity these days, which is why it's good to know KUAF and NPR is there for us. In June, KUAF is raising $50,000 to celebrate being there for our listeners and fund the programming you trust. Help KUAF provide news and information. Go online to support KUAF.com.
0: Yesterday on Ozarks at Large, we heard from podcast producer Wendy Echeverria talking about her new podcast, *In Spendendo El Fotoro: Stories About Latina Leaders in Northwest Arkansas*. For the next few weeks, we're going to hear excerpts from each of the episodes in the podcast series, including this portion from the inaugural edition.
9: Latin Americans have migrated and lived in the United States since the 16th century. Still, experts say that a radical change and the beginning of modern migration in the country began because of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965.
10: That replaced the national uh, origins quota system with a seven category preference system emphasizing family reunification and skilled immigrants.
9: That's Luis Noé Bustamante, a research associate at Pew Research. He says the national origin quota system limited the number of immigrants that could enter the country. However, the efforts to open the country began in the 1960s, after President John F. Kennedy pushed to vanish legally sanctioned immigration quotas. In other words, they wanted to eliminate the limit on visas given to each country. Luis says the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965 allowed individuals from Latin America, Europe, and Asia to come.
10: In 1960, there were about 10 million immigrants in the U.S. Uh, 1970, that number remained steady; it was still about uh, 10 million. But then, by 1980, it increased to 14 million. 1990, 20 million, and 2031 million, and uh, we're currently at about uh, 44, 45 uh, million immigrants in the country. So, so you. Uh,
9: Today, the Latino, Latina, and Hispanic community is considered the largest minority group and the second largest racial group in the U.S., with more than 62 million Latinos and Latinas. And this community is made up of more than 30 different countries, which means that the Latin and Hispanic community is very diverse. However, before I continue, I would like to note one thing. Throughout the five-part series, I'll be using terms Hispanic, Latina, Latino, interchangeably because of the way research for this community has been collected. However, these labels have different meanings. Hispanic is used for those who speak Spanish, live in the U.S., and are from a Latin American country. Latina or Latino is usually used to describe a person descended from Latin America.
10: At at this point in time, about a third of all Latinos and Latinas living in the U.S. uh, are immigrants and two thirds are U.S. born. And especially over the past decade, uh, the the Latinos and Latinas born in the U.S. are definitely driving this increase in, in, in in the population.
9: Some research experts like Juan Marcelo Ruiz say there are more Hispanics, Latinos, Latinas living in the US than some Latin American countries.
3: We are the
11: second country in the world in number of, of uh, Latinos just just behind Mexico. It's, it's amazing but we have more uh, Hispanic or Latinos here than in Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, even Spain. So that's, Juan
9: is a research director at Lopez Negrete Communications the largest independent Hispanic-owned and operated marketing agency in the country. Juan says the Hispanic and Latin American community in the U.S. is powerful and young. And the community's GDP has reached $2.8 trillion in 2020.
11: There is some stat that shows that if we would be a country, uh, we would be like the number five biggest economy in, in the
4: world.
9: Like stated earlier, the Latin American community is so large in the U.S. because of births rather than immigration. Regardless, every Hispanic, Latino, and Latina in this country has a different path as to how they ended up in the U.S. As both researchers stated, many are born in the U.S. and others choose to migrate.
12: Um, You know, you hear people say, oh, why don't they all do it the right way and all of this sort of stuff. And that makes me so angry because I believe that if my father hadn't gotten this opportunity, he would have found a way to bring his family to the U.S. Because
9: There are many reasons why Latinos and Latinas want to move to the U.S., some due to violence, economic distress, natural disasters destroying their homes or a new job. No matter the cause, each person who leaves their home usually seeks a better life or opportunity.
12: The reason that I am privileged and, and that I had, you know, I have the big privilege of being born an American citizen is because of my father and, and him taking an opportunity um, that was offered to him.
9: That's Juanita Franklin. Juanita says her father came to the United States to work as a bracero.
12: So the Bracero Program was something that the Mexican and U.S. governments um, created. It was a program uh, during World War II to help the U.S. because so many uh, men obviously were going to war. So they needed brazos or arms, braceros, that's where the name came from, to work, to work on farms, to work on factories, you know, different places.
9: Juanita says her father was appointed to work in Calusa, California, California, a small farming community. He traveled back and forth from Mexico to the United States for several years, even when he married Juanita's mom. And before the program ended in the 60s, Juanita says her father was surprised by his boss's unexpected offer. He
12: asked him, you know, what are you going to do now? And he said, well, because again, that was just a temporary thing. It wasn't that he got to stay. He said, well, I'm going to go home and raise my family. And so he asked him, Would you ever want to bring your family to the US? And he says, Well I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, but let me talk to my wife. <laughs> and she's all like, Yeah, you know. They were again, they were they were living in poverty, um, doing a little better than some because of his opportunity to be working in the US. Um, but they decided yes, they would come. And because of that program, this employer got to sponsor him.
9: And in 1962, Juanita says her father, mother, five siblings, and grandmother all moved to a farm in Calusa. Three years later, Juanita was born. She became the first U.S. citizen in her family. Juanita says they were one of a few Latin American families who lived in Calusa all year around. And during her formative years, Juanita learned the value of hard work from both her mom and dad. But she says, looking back, she's in awe by her mom's example.
12: That my mother was a strong woman. That if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have done as well as we did without her working those times she did work during the year. Like, during the summer, she worked. And so we got to buy new clothes, new shoes, and clothes for school, right? We didn't buy everything new. I know we went to that's a lot to yard sales and things shop at Kmart, you know. Um, And so again, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have had that. Right. And then same thing, her working in the fall um, out there. I mean, on her knees picking wal literally with her hands picking walnuts. Um, That was for so we can have Christmas. Right. So at the time, I don't think I realized that we were poor. And, and again, even later, later in life as an adult, and even kind of recent, did we realize that my father even was not really paid what he was worth? You know, he was in charge of this farm.
9: Juanita saw the challenges and injustice her parents experienced, and now uses it to help others. Her parents' sacrifices and mentorship has created her to be the person she is today. However, Juanita does regret one thing,
12: is that I didn't ever talk to my parents or ask my parents about this um, but I do know that in our home we didn't talk about college and in any way negative or positive right and I believe now it's just because my parents didn't know anything about it right and they didn't have an education past probably my mom maybe third grade and my dad I think sixth grade so um, I think that for them because they always were you know, honest, like, have you done your tarea? Have you done your homework, right? Um, My dad always went to parent-teacher conferences. um, So we always had to do our homework. There was never a question on whether we would go to school, graduate high school. That was always, of course, we're gonna do that.
9: After graduating high school, Juanita went straight to work. So I always say that
12: without the words actually being said, I got the message, you are not going
9: to college. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, in 2021, Latinas were, quote, less likely to have completed education beyond high school than other groups. However, Luis Noe Bustamante, a research associate at Pew Research, says Latino-Latina student enrollment at universities and colleges has increased across the country.
10: Well, it's about 2.5 million to 3.7 uh, 3. million, in, uh, yes, in, in in recent years. So, so yes, it, it, even over the past decade, it it, it has it has increased um, by a substantial a substantial number.
9: According to a report from Pew Research, there are more Latinas enrolled in at least part time college compared to Latinos. And Hispanic women ages twenty five to twenty nine were more likely to have a college degree than Hispanic men.
0: We'll share more excerpts from Wendy Chaverry's podcast devoted to profiling Latina leaders in Northwest Arkansas on editions of our show in June. One programming note next week, Ozarks at Large sharing some archives from past shows as well as past podcast productions. But we will return with a week of new programs beginning the week of Monday, June
13: 5th. Looking for lunch plans this Friday?
6: Check out KUAF's monthly concert series, The Lunch Hour, highlighting local artists and local restaurants.
13: This month, we have music by Curtis Third
6: And food from It's A Rap.
13: So don't miss The Lunch Hour this Friday from noon to one, located at KUAF offices, 9 South School Thank Avenue, that. right next to the Fayetteville Public Library.
5: Lunch is on us. See you there.
13: The Lunch Hour featuring Curtis Third and It's it, 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 A Wrap this Friday from okay. noon to one.
14: Everything you say, it damaged me.
0: You might as well have done it at this point. This is Ozarks at Large. Warm weather weekends are getting a Friday 5 o'clock start at the Ramble. That's a park setting along the Razorback Greenway in the heart of Fayetteville. These evenings are called Weekend Starts. The city of Fayetteville and the University of Arkansas Music Department are combining to present the free concerts on Fridays through at least, weather permitting, Fridays through June. This week, we talked about the series as a whole and this Friday's performance in particular with Joanna Bell, the arts and culture director for the city of Fayetteville, and Alan Gossman, associate professor of music theory at the University of Arkansas. We also invited two members of Blue Thread, the musical ensemble that will perform Friday evening, vocalist Christy Cat and flautist Nicola Radon. He's also the director of the World Music Ensemble at the University of Arkansas. Joanna Bell says her job as arts and culture director for the city led her to see the Lower Ramble space as a blank canvas.
3: At which point I started talking um, with Alan and the amazing Leah Uribe about the university and their resources, at which point Alan shared sort of a little bit about what he's been up to in other sort of places in the region, and I felt like we had to absolutely bring that to Fayetteville.
11: From from our side, I think we were just waiting for your phone call Um, (laughs) that— We've been so excited about the Lower Ramble and the Whole Arts Corridor, and so we really have been hoping something like this would develop. And it's it's just worked t- together nicely. Um, the university music department has been doing a series up in Bentonville for a few years um, called Live at the Five and Dime with the Walmart Museum in downtown Bentonville. Um, and so this, we've been waiting to, to do this in Fayetteville, <laughs> down, the, down the road from our department.
3: I think the idea of, of the series is that it's sort of um, an opportunity to start your weekend off, right? So it's, transition. it's a transition. It's a very small, compact, little creative moment where you can happen upon live music, artistic activities, all taking place in this beautiful space. Um, in between your work week and your weekend,
11: and this Friday, yes. What do we have on tap? This Friday, we're we're so excited because all of these concerts are connected in some way to the Department of Music, and so um, Nicola Radon um, will be joining us. Um, he is part of a group called Blue Thread, which is really one of one of my favorite groups, I would say, having heard them a number of times live, and. Christy Kat will be joining us from Boston, and um, Cody Lucas. We
15: have a Cody Lucas on guitar. On guitar, yeah. and um, we have a Kartik Balachandran from uh, from India. Well, he's from Malaysia, but uh, he plays
11: Indian violin. Yeah. So it, it it's just it's a wonderful. It brings so much to to this series because it, it branches us out. Um, to earlier music, to medieval music. It branches us, uh, well, it branches us in to Ozark ballads. <laughs> um, so it just has some of everything.
15: Mix of folk music from different parts of the world, yeah.
11: yeah. Uh, you
0: mentioned Christy Cat will be joining uh, from Boston. She's actually joining us on this conversation from Boston uh, over uh, Zoom. Christy, uh, by the time this airs, you'll probably be in Northwest So I want to bring the two members of Blue Thread in this conversation Percy, have you had a chance to, to see the Lower Ramble
16: yet in Fayetteville? No, um, I'm, I'm very excited I've been to. I've been to Fayetteville many times uh, growing up as a kid. I grew up in Kansas um, and Nicholas showed me many places, but I think that's right, Nicola. I don't think I've actually yes, been there yet. Yes, but
15: this is the new one, the newest one and a uh, very special one. So it opened last exactly. uh, September. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why you didn't see it yet.
0: When you're preparing to play outdoors, does that take any different preparation than say inside a concert hall?
15: I, I don't see that uh, um, so much difference. Uh, well, the point is basically what kind of audience you're going to have. <laughs> it's always about that connection between you and audience uh as a performer and I think uh, we have wonderful audience in general in Fayetteville in Northwest Arkansas so I expect actually really beautiful uh that human connection and the stories that are shared from around the world
16: I think it's kind of interesting that you know in a in an indoor concert where people make it, you know they decide to come and sit in a space and take in a, a program uh, is a wonderful thing but also it's a wonderful thing to be walking through a beautiful area and stumble upon something and be drawn in and you can stay for a little bit or you can be there for the whole time so uh it's it's a it's kind as of, a it's we we perform the same way but the experience can be very different um, based on what's happening in your day and where you are
15: a week ago, I played in in the woods, and uh, and somebody heard it and said like that that was divine. Like that was out of this, uh, it's kind of magic. Uh, that sounds in in the woods over here could be really fantastic thing in close to downtown Faithville, right? What can we expect from from the performance?
16: So the songs um, that we're going to be doing for this concert. Are weaving together um, a pretty wide net of songs that were pa- passed uh, orally, and some written down too. Um, and you know, collectors wrote them down, or different people wrote them down. Uh, but there are a lot of intersections, and what we really are interested in uh, with is looking at shared stories and ballad migration. So in one song, you you'll hear a story. Uh, that may have been told in five or six different parts of the world, uh, maybe with different melodies, um, but telling that story. So sometimes we'll weave together a telling of a tale. And um, other times we're looking at the modes, the scales, uh, that kind of connection and putting things together. But um, you'll hear love songs um, and you'll hear love songs uh, developing into tales. Sometimes the love song's gone wrong, um, and turned into a, uh, we have a couple of murder ballads, which are popular in, in, uh, in Arkansas and different ballad traditions. And, um, you'll also hear kind of a response for, uh, we, we do a lot of songs of, from the women's perspective. So maybe a woman is waiting for her lover to come back and we did a bunch of Portuguese songs uh, on this theme. And, and um, when Nicole and I were in Portugal performing them with a Cape Verdean group, afterwards, uh, they said, "Hey, do you know there's there, that story? Gets completed, and the guy comes back, and he uh, tests her to see if she's been true or not." And that's really got, we got got this started. Is we started looking into that answer, and we found them all over the world, including in. Fayetteville so we'll do a telling of that tale and um so it's this mixture of uh, songs and then the instrumental I'll let Nicola talk about that but the, going into all these different scales and mixing mixing world traditions
15: yeah uh, little love stories then the little suspense and then back to little love and it's the kind <laughs> of sandwich that we are uh, serving uh and uh, well uh, last year we started to work with um uh, Rave uh, cultural, Indian cultural foundation that we, we are so fortunate to have uh, in Northwest Arkansas. And um, they always uh, always have surprisingly uh, talented musicians c- coming in. And uh, um, so we collaborated last year with uh, a couple of them. And uh, this year we are going to also ha- work with uh, Kartik Balachandran, who is the amazing violinist. And also he's... Uh, um, Amazing uh, scientist. Uh, so, uh, and he teaches at the, at the University of Arkansas as well, uh, biomedical engineering, something like that. So, uh, well, uh, these uh, kind of uh, s- uh, different languages that we use in music, uh, and I always say music is not something that is kind of Connected, we are all kind of speak our own language, but we found the communication to actually communicate between each other to understand each other, and uh, that's what whole music or or vision of broad thread that we have is basically kind of share the story, but also exchange the music experience.
0: Joanne, I want to bring up this concept of people stumbling across. Mm -hmm. The entertainment that takes place. Obviously, we're letting people know. You want people to know it's there, but that lower ramble is where people walk dogs. Children are, you know, down by the creek. People are on bicycles or. I saw someone on the unicycle not recently. So do you like that element too, that someone will just be coming along and stop?
3: Yeah, absolutely. The spirit of the ramble is sort of built on connection and connectivity and um, and taking the journey, rambling through, as you, might, as you might say. And so it's very exciting to have sort of a mix of, of folks who are coming specifically to see a particular performance interfacing with those who are sort of stumbling through um, and passing through and sort of seeing that exchange happen. Um, It's a really fun uh, way to spend a Friday night, so we hope everybody comes out, even if you're just passing through on the way to your next destination. Joanna
0: Bell is the Arts and Culture Director for the City of Fayetteville. We also heard from Alan Gossman, Associate Professor of Music Theory at the University of Arkansas, as well as two members of the Ensemble Blue Thread. They're performing this Friday evening. We heard from vocalist Christy Catt and Flautist Nicola Radon, who's also the director of the World Music Ensemble at the University of Arkansas. Blue Thread is performing at 5 Friday evening in the Lower Ramble along the Razorback Greenway in Fayetteville. It's part of the Weekend Starts
2: series of events. The third annual Her Set, Her Sound Festival is back June 9th and 10th at West and Watson and Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville. Her Set, Her Sound takes up space to celebrate identity and empower women and non-binary DJs in our region. Guests can enjoy food trucks, vendors, and entrepreneurs, plus groovy vibes and activations to amplify her on and off the stage. Tickets and sponsorship information available at hersethersound.com. Opera in the Ozarks presents its 72nd summer season, June 23rd through July 21st, with 22 performances at Inspiration Point in Eureka Springs, plus special events in Fayetteville and beyond. Featuring 40 premier vocalists from across the nation, this year's operas include Elixir of Love, The Tender Land, and Orpheus in the Underworld. Tickets and season schedule at opera.org.
0: Earlier this week, we talked with Roe Bailey, communication manager with Interform, about that organization's month-long celebration of creativity in June, Assembly. Today, we dig a little deeper into just how varied Assembly can be. Jasper Logan, musician, rapper, actor, and KUAF community engagement manager, is one of the selected curators of an art space that's part of Assembly. Well, we asked him to come to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio from the other side of our building to explain what he's planning and he brought
13: artist and musician Curtis Brumfield with him. Sort of art space, gallery, which will also function as like a retail space as well. Um, mostly retail, mostly the individuals in there. will have some art and then most of the uh, folks, most of the things in there will be like um, clothing items from local designers. Um, and so, but we'll, we'll activate that space different ways throughout the month. Um, one of those is um, an open mic that, you know, Curtis, one, Curtis will, will headline one. Uh, and then we'll have a bunch of different stuff going on. We're going to do uh, morning yoga one day, one Saturday in the That's month. Um, we, we've got a bunch of stuff going on. so. And there will be talkbacks as part of this, right? Yep. There'll Curtis be talk, will perform. Yep. There'll be talkbacks where we um, interview some of the designers and interview some of the artists who are participants in uh, my venue space and so. You looking forward to it Curtis?
14: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I got something real special for my show, so I think it'll be exciting. Um we're going to use we're going to use blockchain. We're going to use NFTs and that's all I would say right now. So you have to come to the show to find out. But you definitely will learn how to use blockchain technology and you'll get your first NFT when you come. So I'm intrigued now. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I realize you want to keep it all a surprise, so don't give anything away.
0: But I'm curious as hell. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, kind of curious too now. Uh, Let me, okay, again, don't give anything away you don't want to give away. How do you put it together to perform while we're also in the audience learning about blockchain technology?
14: So, um, Okay, so we're gonna use blockchain technology for you to prove that you were in a, in attendance. Okay. Okay. So it'll be like a QR code. You'll scan that, and um, you'll you'll be able to prove that you were there. And I'm gonna walk out with an NFT. Yep, you'll you'll walk out with an NFT right on your phone. Yep. Your first time, so it'll be, be mine. To, you'll be able to make <laughs> have your first wallet, your first crypto wallet. Um, it won't cost you anything, but it'll definitely get you familiar with it,
13: and because uh, that's the direction that we're headed with the art. So, wow! Yeah. See, this is the kind of stuff that we're having at the space. So, the title of the space is the art of process, um, and the whole I- the the art of process slash under construction. The whole idea about that is to sort of acknowledge the space that like we as artists are in but also I feel like Northwest Arkansas is in it's just like this process of like like we're almost at this point in time where like we're becoming a thing you know we're in the process of like becoming big becoming notable becoming Mm -hmm. like you know recognizable outside of this uh this area and then um, and then that's already happening to a lot of folks, you know, like Curtis and uh, different different people within the area right now. And so it's like it's just acknowledging the entire process of what it means to make art, the acknowledging the entire process of what it means to work s- for something, acknowledging the entire process of what it means to be human, um, and to just accept that. And so,
0: when will your space open?
13: June. 1st so officially thursday, uh, june 1st yep, yeah yep thursday june 1st uh there's a kickoff that um and is doing in partnership june 1st and june 2nd and we may have an open mic june 2nd um in partnership with some artists so is that when you'll now you'll be up june what do we say 17
14: uh june 22nd june 22nd that's that, right that's where that my show is and i'm also doing something with amy terry Nice. So I'll, I'll be in her gallery. Um, and I'll, well, I could say this I'll be in her gallery and I'll be having a, a token frame there. So it, that's an NFT as well. So I think that'll be your first introduction to a physical NFT. Um, it's not just online. You'll actually, if you actually purchase it, you'll be able to take home a 55 inch token frame. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, that's all I'll say. You have to come to the gallery to see that. Come see that. Do you
13: have everything in place, uh, or is it
14: still a process?
13: It's <laughs> well. That's a you know. That's part of why I wanted to do the process because like you know, I feel like things are always in process. Like that's kind of how I work. it's just like like e- things are like kind of never done for me. Like even like if I finish a song or do something, I'm like I'm always thinking like man, how could I make that better or like you know, mm. etc. And so. Um, but like part of it was um, through the open call, so Inform did uh, an open call with um, artists, and they had them apply, et cetera. And so the curator chose from you know a long list of like open call um, artists, and so um, there was a lot of people who um, uh, felt who went that route, and uh, some didn't make it. And then you know the top of the top, you know we kind of we kind of chose. Um, and then like you know I have a few few people who didn't go through that who I like you know sought out and was like man I want you to be a part of this some way somehow so the 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 few things that I'm really excited about is that we'll have um installations um by um Rum Wolf uh mm-hmm. Craig Caruso mm-hmm. and Tylo May and these installations will serve as like fitting rooms and so they're gonna be designing like two sort of like really unique fitting rooms that like you can go in and try on clothes and stuff that'll look cool and then one that'll be like outside the fitting rooms that i don't want to give too much information about but it's going to be really cool and like you'll stand in front of it and like you'll be able to check out your outfit and stuff and post pictures and all that cool stuff and so some of those guys came through the open call and then some of them didn't like i was like yeah i want you to help with this because i think you're really talented um and so yeah
0: Chris, how did you get interested
14: in NFTs, and crypto, and blockchain? Mm. Uh, Like around, man, around 2019. Yeah, around 2019. I think I first heard about it from a guy named 19Keys on YouTube. Um, But when I heard about it, it was obviously super interesting. And then the more I looked into it, and I think really I kind of got into it too because I had been buying... Bitcoin and it kind of they kind of correlate together. Um but once I found out that you can keep track of everything and prove that you own something, mm-hmm. it went hand in hand with music. And so, cuz with streaming and everything and right. you know you get paid cents on the dollar and so I feel like this gives you an opportunity to release your music in a moment in time and make one-of-one one pieces. Mm. And uh they can res- you know, they can respect rap a little more in a way of like it's art and you can get one of one. You can have one of one piece of art hanging in your home mm-hmm. instead of just uh hearing it on the radio or hearing it in your car. Mm. You know, you can like have a art piece. And of course you can still release music other ways, but I think it's cool to do it that way. And yeah, I got into it by, like twenty nineteen,
0: so it also gives you a little bit more per- Proprietary control over your art, Mm -hmm. right? What would you say to someone who's heard our conversation is a bit intimidated? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I know enough to go see this performance.
14: Mm, I would say, come to the show, (laughs) learn the process. It's super easy. Once you see it, you'll be like, man, that's super easy. It sounds complicated. Um, Different names you've never heard of. It sounds complicated, but it's literally like the simplest thing you'll ever see. It's super simple. Uh, it's like if you know how to scan a QR code with your uh, with your phone, you've already you've already done it.
0: If you've gone to a restaurant since the pandemic, you know how to exactly. scan a QR code. Exactly. So your space is on Meadow in Springdale, yep. three thirteen Meadow, downtown Springdale. Opens on the first. Does it go all the way through June thirtieth?
13: All the way through June thirtieth. And ju- I'll have a calendar on my Instagram where you can view all of the like events and activations, the times that we'll have things and. How can people follow you on Instagram? At Jasper Logan Raps. Do you think you're going to be tired
0: on July 1st?
13: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes.
13: <laughs> yes. That's the goal, though, That's the right? goal, yeah. That's the goal. Anything else either of you like to add? Man, I'm, uh, Curtis is doing the lunch hour. Oh,
0: that's right. Thank you. Which is,
13: I'm so excited. And I want to ask, like, will we get some NFT stuff at the lunch hour? <laughs> uh,
14: I didn't even think about that. But, um... I think I could do an introduction to it there. I think we could do something there at the lunch hour, um, similar to the show. That'd be cool. That way everybody that's in attendance can uh, participate in it and prove they were there.
13: That'd be cool. I love that, yeah.
14: We could throw that in there. Because I'm curious. I'm very curious.
0: (laughs) Thank you both for coming in. Thanks for having us, Kyle. Thank you. Jasper Logan and Curtis Brumfield spoke with me earlier this week. Curtis, by the way, back at the station tomorrow – as the featured performer in this month's Lunch Hour taking place in the Carver Center for Public Radio lobby.
3: KUAF is your source for news and entertainment on the air and in your podcast feed. With podcasts like Ozarks at Large, Resilient Black Women, The Lunch Hour, and The R Word, you can rely on KUAF to bring you a diverse lineup of culture and news you need whenever you need it. Find our entire lineup of podcasts at KUAF.com slash podcasts.
0: This is 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. I'm Kyle Kellum. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Froehlich, and Wendy Echeverria. Thanks, Jasper Logan, for stopping by the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio as well. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We have another new show tomorrow at noon and 7 o'clock.